0: to this edition of Back to Basics with Pastor Brian Broderson.
1: What God was doing then, these are pictures of what God is going to do all the way through all of the ages until Jesus returns. So we today can expect and should look for supernatural guidance, divine guidance. We, God has a plan. He has something for us And so we need to seek Him.
0: Today on Back to Basics, Pastor Brian continues his study in the book of Acts. Join us as Pastor Brian begins his teaching on Acts, chapter 16, verses 6 through 34, in a message titled, The Gospel is for Everyone. Now, here's Pastor Brian.
1: Here in our text, we have the story of a businesswoman, a fortune teller, and a prison guard coming to faith in Christ in the city of Philippi in Macedonia 2,000 years ago. What I want us to see is that although times and places change, Yet people's needs don't change. We're going to see some real similarities between these people and us today. So people's needs don't change. The power of Christ to save and transform lives doesn't change. The gospel is still for everyone, regardless of who they are, where they're from, what they have or haven't done, and what they have or or don't have. So that that's still a, a reality today. And so that's where we're going to focus today. But first, let me just kind of catch us up to where we are here in the story. Those of you that have been with us, you remember that Barnabas and Paul, they had a disagreement. So they separated. Barnabas took Mark and he's gone to Cyprus. Paul and Silas have set off for southern Galatia. And they picked up a young disciple and helper named Timothy on the way. And uh, Galatia, most of these places that are named here are in modern day Turkey. So if you have a Bible map, uh, you can go and you can can find them there. But if you looked at the, the map of Turkey today, that's where most of the things that we read about transpired. So they they picked up Timothy. They're planning to go into the province of Asia, and the major city of the province of Asia then would have been Ephesus. And yet it says that they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit. Nexus Spirit, it says, didn't allow them to go north into Bithynia, and so they finally arrive on the coast. They come to the city of Troas there on the Aegean Sea and no doubt they were weary and perplexed because you know after all they're trying to go into these places with the gospel but the the spirit is not allowing them to do that. So there in Troas Paul had a vision and it was a vision of a man from Macedonia calling them to come and to help us, and so they concluded that the vision was from the Lord, and they set sail for Macedonia. So now they're going to cross the Aegean Sea, and they're going to go into Macedonia. And although the the world wasn't designated as it is today with uh, the various continents, you know, we have seven continents. We kind of break the world up into that today. Uh, back then, this was all part of the same empire. But they were, if you were to look at it today, they were stepping out of ministry on the continent of Asia, and they were coming to minister in Europe. So this is the first mission venture into what we know today as Europe. So three things really quickly to just touch on. Number one, the Holy Spirit forbid them think about that that's kind of weird they want to go with the gospel and so they try to go to the province of asia the holy spirit says no don't go there Uh, so then they try to go to bithynia which is up in the northern region uh, along the black sea area there same thing the holy spirit says nope don't go there how does the holy spirit say don't go there we don't know Maybe the circumstances just didn't allow for it and it became obvious that God was blocking the way. Maybe there was some kind of illness or something that prevented them from going. Maybe there was even a prophetic word that just said, that's not the place to go. However it happened, they began to understand that the Holy Spirit was forbidding them. But the question would be, why? Why would the Holy Spirit tell them not to go to a place where they intended to go and share the gospel? Well, a couple of reasons. One of them could have been that others were already going in that direction, but they didn't know about it because they didn't have the kind of communication. And perhaps that was the case. We know that Peter, the apostle, from his letter, he had ministry in the area of Bithynia. So perhaps there was already something happening there. Or what is probably true even more than that is that the timing wasn't right because Paul will go to Asia but just not now he will go later and he will establish the church in Ephesus and he will spend plenty of time there so all that to say sometimes we might want to go in a certain direction but the Lord is going to prevent us from going because it's not the right time to go or God knows why we shouldn't go there even though we might think it's a great idea, and so he will redirect us, and that's what happened here. So how did he redirect Paul? He, directed, he redirected him through a vision. So second thing to note is, again, and we've seen this before, but let me remind you, supernatural guidance, and the reason I want to remind you of that is because, remember, the things that happened then still happen today, and, and We have to keep coming back to that as we study through the book of Acts. This is history, yes, but it's also prophetic in that uh, what God was doing then, these are pictures of of what God is going to do all the way through all of the, the ages until Jesus returns. So we today can expect and should look for supernatural guidance, divine guidance. We... God has a plan. He has something for us, and so we need to seek him and get that direction from him. The third thing, really quickly, is notice Paul has a vision of a man who's saying, come over and help us. And, and it says here in the text that the man was actually pleading, come over and help us. So a really interesting thing, Paul didn't know anybody in that part of the world. He didn't know what was going on, but of course, God knew. And just like God knows today, God knows all around the world where there are people that need help. And so what he did then and what he will do now, he will put it on the hearts of his servants to go and to help those who need help. So those are just three things I wanted to quickly touch on. But... I want to look, as I said, I want to look at these three people because the gospel is for everyone and I want us to see the three people that are highlighted here. I want us to see how different their lives are but yet they, all of their lives converge here in Philippi around Christ and the gospel. So the first one is Lydia and let's just pick up in verse 11-11. Real quick, therefore sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace and the next day came to Neapolis, that's the port there. And from there, they went by foot to Philippi, which is the foremost city of Macedonia, a colony, and were staying in the city for some days. And on the Sabbath, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily made. And we sat down and we spoke to the women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshiped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And so she persuaded us. So Lydia is the first person here. Just a really quick backup for just a second. This team consists of Paul, Silas, and Timothy. But if you look at verse 10, it says this. It says, now, after he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia. There's another person that's part of this team that's just joined this team, and he's the writer of Acts. It's Luke. So this is where Luke becomes part of Paul's ministry team. We don't know exactly all the details about Luke's background. We know he was a physician, we know he was a Greek, and perhaps he lived in Troas. Somehow he now gets connected with Paul and he becomes part of the ministry team and goes there with him. So Paul's practice was to go from from city to city as we've seen him, he would first go to a synagogue. A synagogue was a natural place to start because he knew that there would be an audience there. He could share the gospel with them. It would be predominantly Jewish, obviously, but there would be others that were there. There would be proselytes. That would mean non-Jews who had converted to Judaism. And there would just be these God-fearers, these people that were interested in the, the God of Israel. So that's where he would start. But there's no synagogue in Philippi, evidently, because he doesn't go to a synagogue. Now there needed to be, in order for a synagogue to be established, there needed to be 10 Jewish men. So if 10 Jewish men got together, they could start a synagogue. So either there were not 10 Jewish men in Philippi. Philippi was a Roman colony. It was very much a Roman community, but there were plenty of Jews in Rome. So it seems like there could have been Jews there, but because there wasn't a synagogue, either there were not enough Jewish men or they just, Jewish men didn't really care to start a synagogue. So if there was no synagogue, they would go near to a river. They would try to find a place where there was running water, and they would hold a prayer meeting there. And so Paul finds out that that's what's happening. So it's on the Sabbath where they normally would have had the synagogue meetings. On the Sabbath, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customarily held. And so there he meets this woman, and she is, notice, named Lydia, and she is a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira. Now, to be a seller of purple, now, she's from Thyatira. She's from across the sea. She's from that city of Thyatira, which was famous for its dye. And even if you think about it today, when royalty, the colors of royalty are purple, crimson, Dark red, those have always been associated with royalty. And of course that was true in ancient times. It's it's still true today. And it's associated with royalty because it was very costly. So you couldn't usually get a garment like that unless you were wealthy because of the cost of it. Well, Lydia, she was a businesswoman whose business had to do with selling this fabric. And so we see that she was an entrepreneurial woman. She was a businesswoman. She, she had her act together. Uh, we also see from the text that she worshiped God. She wasn't a Jewess, but she was a worshiper of God. So at some point in her life, she had come into uh, contact with information about the true God, the God of the Bible. So she was a worshiper of God. She hadn't converted and become a Jew, but she was a worshiper of God. So she was entrepreneurial. She was religious in the best sense of the word. She was sincere. She was successful. She was successful. She was wealthy. How do we know that? She has a house that can accommodate Paul's team. Now, we know of four people on Paul's team. There might have been more. But she says, hey, come and stay at my house. So this implies that she had a large house. And so as we look at her as a person, we see that she was a successful businesswoman. Her name is Lydia. Kind of an interesting point is Thyatira was a city located in what was the ancient kingdom of Lydia. So some texts read that she was a Lydian woman and others, like our text here, read that Lydia was her actual name. So we'll just go with the fact that that was her name. But this is this is who she was, and it says about her that the Lord opened her heart. The Lord opened her heart. So, as you look at her again, she's she's just uh, she's an she's a lady who's all together. She's got her act together. She's she's you know, making money. She's successful. She's moral. She's upright. She's, you know, serious about life. And she's interested in spiritual things. And so as Paul speaks, God opens her heart. It's almost like she was in a place where she just needed to sort of be taken by the hand and just walked into the kingdom. That's what happened with Lydia. Now we come to a second woman who is like the extreme opposite of Lydia. And remember, we're talking about the gospel being for everyone. So Lydia is one example, but now verse 16 says, now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. And so this is the second person. Notice she is a slave girl. She is owned by men who made a profit from her. So she's basically being prostituted by these men, now not sexually prostituted, but she's being prostituted in the sense that they are making money off her. She's a slave. She has no right. She's owned by these guys and they are using her to make money what what were they using her as she possessed a spirit of divination she could she was a fortune teller and so she could tell people their future now the word here that's translated a spirit of divination the the literal translation is she had a pythian spirit or the spirit of a python that that's literally what it says and one commentator gives us insight to that he said the reference is to the snake of classical mythology which guarded the temple of apollo and the delphic oracle the delphic oracle was a place you know where you could go and you there was this oracle a you know supposedly a a message from the gods years ago i was traveling in greece and went to that particular place i mean it's long since you know the Doesn't function like that anymore, but that's what it was at the time. And so Apollo was thought to be embodied in the snake and to inspire his female devotees with clairvoyance. So this was not an uncommon situation. There were many women who were apparently possessed by this spirit, and they were clairvoyant. They could tell people about their future, and that's how these guys made money. Now, there was another way that they were referred to, and they were referred to by some as ventriloquists. Now, when we think of a ventriloquist, you think of somebody sitting with a, you know, dummy, you know, a doll kind of a thing, and they're able to throw their voice around and make it look like the doll is actually talking and all that. Um, Why would they... Why would they refer to these women as ventriloquists? Because out of their mouths came these strange, strange voices. So they would often have deep groveling, like the voices of men, kind of just real weird and spooky or screechy or, you know, and it was because of that that they were referred to as ventriloquists. But the case in point really was, obviously f- clear from the text there, that they were literally demon-possessed. That's what they were. So the, the writer here says, being possessed then, as now, can have terrible psychological consequences. So she, this woman, had lost her identity and her individuality as a human being, and socially she belonged to as a slave to her masters, but psychologically, she belonged to the spirit which controlled her. So this woman is, like I said, she's like the opposite. I mean, think of like a, a, seriously, think of a woman who is like a crack addict and who is a prostitute and who's under the authority and dominion of like a pimp. This is what's going on here, except not that there wouldn't be a demonic connection in what i just described but there's a definite demonic thing that that's happened here with this woman so she is in a place that she cannot possibly extricate herself from she cannot free herself now lydia she was a worshiper of god like i said paul speaks god opens her heart it it doesn't it doesn't take a whole lot for her to kind of walk across the threshold into the kingdom But this woman is bound. She is a literal slave physically, but she's also a spiritual slave to these demonic powers. And how can that be altered? Well, look what happened. So this girl, verse 17, followed Paul and us, Luke says, and cried out saying, these men are the servants of the most high God who proclaim to us the way of salvation. And this she did for many days, but Paul greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And the spirit came out of her that very moment. My text says that very hour, the Greek text means it it, it happened instantly. So here's this girl that is utterly helpless in this horrific situation and that fast. She's set free. God delivers her. Paul recognizes that she is indeed possessed of an evil spirit. And so he cast that spirit out of her. So it was instant. It was something that she couldn't do for herself. It was something that God did for her. So you see, we got two radically different conversion experiences here from two radically different people. But the third person we come to is the prison guard. So the prison guard, what is his background? Well, almost certainly the prison guard was an ex-soldier. So he was an ex-military guy. Why do I say that? Because Philippi was a Roman colony. A Roman colony was a, it was basically just a a little Rome located in a different geographical space somewhere in the empire. And what the, the Caesars, what the emperors would do is they would send usually retired military people in who these guys were Romans through and through. So he, they would send them in to establish a Roman administration and to bring Roman culture into this place. And they were retired military. So of course they would do other jobs. And so it's most likely that this prison guard is an ex-soldier and thinking about him being an ex-Roman soldier or a retired Roman soldier, uh, he would have been a hard guy. Roman soldiers were tough. That's how they conquered the world. So he would have been a hard guy. Uh, He would have shared the same prejudices that were communicated here by the slave masters who were angry that their prophet was now lost because this girl got saved. And what did they say? They said, these Jews... They've come into our community and they're saying things that are uh, unlawful for Romans to engage in.
0: And now let's join Pastor Brian in the studio as he shares about this month's resource.
1: Hi, I wanna take a minute and tell you about a fantastic Book on the subject of the grace of God, this is one of the greatest topics that we could ever study and we could ever come to really thoroughly understand god's grace god's grace is what saves us god's grace is what carries us through life and god's grace is what will ultimately lead us home and my wife, Cheryl Broderson, she has written an amazing book on grace. it's called a woman 's Battle for Grace. And I would like to recommend this not just to our women listeners, although it's sort of specifically for women, but it's a little more general on grace. So I think any of you men that would be interested in the topic, you would be blessed by this book as well. So it's called A Woman's Battle for Grace, and it's by Cheryl Broderson. And I want to recommend that you get it and read it, and I guarantee that you'll be blessed by it.
0: Again, this month's resource is a book titled A Woman's Battle for Grace by Cheryl Broderson. You can order the book A Woman's Battle for Grace by going to our website, backtobasicsradio.com. Scroll down until you see the photo of it and then click on the donate button. When you give a gift to Back to Basics, we'll send you the book A Woman's Battle for Grace by Cheryl Broderson to help you experience the power of God's grace within your life. It's our way of saying thank you for your generous support of this ministry.